special episode today. We have on the podcast a longtime friend of mine and a very famous theologian, Mike Bickle. Please enjoy. If you'd like to watch the YouTube, if you want to watch the video, go to the YouTube channel. Search Bible Beaters Mike Bickle. I don't know exactly what our YouTube link is, <laughs> but it's Canada Comedy for now. It's Canada Comedy for now, and that's how you find it. Enjoy the show. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, and then I'll introduce Kyle a little bit to you, and then we'll just go. How old were you when I, I came to you, I think, the first time? Do you remember when Michael Jordan went to the Olympics? Uh, yeah, so that would have been like 98 or something, 97. Oh, earlier than that. No, 90. wait. Earlier. So the Olympics were like, I think, 96, Atlanta? The dream team, they went and they blew them out. Because they went to... 92. 92. Yeah, 92. That sounds right. Okay, so I would have been five. <laughs> we were going when the dream team was going to the Olympics. Yeah. The very first time, because they, we only had college kids before, the pros came and blew everyone out. And so I was like an American in Canada, like strutting around us, America. So it was a big conversation. We were all laughing about it. But so you were five. And so Judah would have been three. Yep. Joel would have been and one. And Simeon wouldn't one. have been born. Joab was one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, you were the three I whipped. Yeah. So you know, one time. <laughs> I want you to know, I wrestled the, the Campbell boys and I defeated all of them single handed. Of course, they only five, three, one. Mike, honestly, me too. Same thing. I also <laughs> kicked their ass. I did beat them. And so uh, Caleb wanted to rematch. And I said, no, no, I don't think so. Twice. I'm undefeated. I'm, I'm retiring. Rocky Marciano. I'm retiring undefeated. <laughs> Here's the thing. Caleb had his stint as kind of a tough guy, but now he's a, An old he's a married guy. husband, and he's lazy now. He can't handle it. Campbell boys are all rugby players. So that's if I, I, if Behind his back, I would say that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I played a game this summer for, a, our for our for fun game, the old guys versus the young guys. I'm on the old guys team now. And I got torched. I got <laughs> I got stepped for two tries, missed a tackle, and pulled my hamstring. I, I'm I'm an old guy now. <laughs> How old are you now? Thirty-five. I'll be thirty-six yeah. in February. Now that's when you start the pulling of the hamstrings. The worst <laughs> year. I'm sixty-seven, so I'm an old guy. But the worst year ever for an athlete decade is their thirties. Yeah, because thirties. Your memory still remembering your 20s, but your body has shifted, but your brain hasn't shifted with your body. Your 40s, you're okay. You've already settled. <laughs> You've in, given up? In your 30s, no. It's when you pull stuff and you're shocked. Because your you're super careful. I used to be able to do this, right? Like, you try to do what you used to do, especially with no training at all. No, all right. the 30s is the year you get all, is the decade of injuries for former athletes. Okay. All right, so I think... As it we're going, we'll just start this whenever. All park. How long does this go? Uh, I was hoping for like an hour and a half, two hours, okay. but so if you got to go. An hour and a half, yeah. Okay. So we're aiming to end this at uh, 1.30 your time, 11.30 our time. All right, man. I guess, uh, well, hello, everybody. This is like, we just start, right? <laughs> you don't have to. Is it recording? <laughs> yes, it's been recording. No, but you have to go like once we press the play. Caleb is obsessed with linear, uh, a linear direction of this podcast where you start with introductions and then go on. Hey, look, just so you know, my team is here. They have to give me a signal before they start recording. So I'm on your team. Okay. <laughs> so I'll count I it like down. I like to keep it loose. I'll count it down. Five, 
four, three. Hello, welcome to the Bible Beater Podcast. This is the Lord of Hosts, Caleb Campbell, joined as always by the interrupt of Kyle Vester. And today on the podcast, we have my favorite, most the most exciting guest I can ever imagine. We have Mike Bickle on the podcast. Welcome to the Bible Beater Podcast, Mike Bickle. You didn't call me the interrupter and you said podcast. Whatever, I'm nervous. nervous. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Uh, this is fun. Now, I've known Caleb for 30 years plus. Oh, yeah, 30 years, actually, 1992. Because it's 2022, so it is 30 years. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. What were the Campbells was, like as little kids? I'm imagining lunatics. Uh, tons of fun, to be totally honest. But I'd <laughs> rather say lunatics. But the truth is, they're happy, fun, eager. So I stayed about a week at their house. And so Caleb was five. His younger brother, Judah, was three. And then Simeon was one. And I mean, Joe, I was one. And Simeon wasn't born yet. And I went there. I went there two different times, actually, one in 92 and then in 1997. And I remember them because I would give them candy. Oh, man. Like, I totally bribed them to like me. They liked me because I gave them money and candy. That's true. That's the best move for a kid, for sure. We would say, hey, Pickle, and he would throw candy at us or money. (laughs) And rules. One dollar bills blew their mind. I <laughs> oh my God, we're rich, Dad! And they had their little no shirts on, running around. They were cute as could be. I loved them, and I wrestled them all the time. Yeah, he beat it, dude. I remember you always gave us like escalating bigger candies. Like they yeah, yeah, started yeah. off with candy, and then chocolate bars, then jumbo chocolate yeah. bars, and then one time you came over and you were hyping up this gift you're like i you guys i got you something big this time what do you think it is and i was thinking like my mind was like chocolate bars so i was naming all the chocolate bars like it could be that could be bigger than that and then i was like going to cap guns and toys and stuff and like it's probably that too and then i I, after i couldn't even take the anticipation anymore you pulled out 20 dollar bills for me and all my it's a 20 dollar bill and i never seen so much money i was like oh my goodness we just hit the jackpot we spent we, that was like 10 strips to 7-eleven to spend all that i so remember that because i would do that with kids when i would of uh, my friends because kids are so awestruck by dollar bills and candy and dumb old people don't know that so they don't give it to them and i've always got a million young not, that's a crazy number I got scores of kids through the years who I did this with. I've done this for 40 years. I still do it today. Probably last week, I gave dollars to 10 different kids in candies. I got stacks of dollar bills and candies. And I, I love it. It's so much fun. Dude, how big is your church now or your organization? I, uh, the IHOP staff is 600 people. That's a missions organization. Then we have a church on the side that's about three to 4,000 people. And the 600 staff and their family go to the church, plus a bunch of people in the neighborhoods. Wow, that's huge. And you guys have like satellites like around the world or just in Kansas City? Sort of, meaning we've been doing IHOP, the International House of Prayer. It's not the Pancake House. Don't don't confuse us. It's International House of Prayer. We've been doing it 23 years. What we do, I'll just give you just 60 seconds on this. Sure. We're like uh, the missions group, Caleb. You would know YWAM. You know YWAM a little yeah. bit, right? Yep. It's the biggest mission organization in the world. They have 30,000 staff members. They've been going 60 years. Anyway, they're a household name in the mission world. All their 30,000 people raise their own support as missionaries. So when I resigned my church 23 years ago, I've been pastor in 25 years. I resigned that church, turned it over, started this new missions organization with 20 young people. 
And we had no money, so this horrible idea. We're going to raise our own support like YWAM. My wife said, what? I I don't know how else to do it. There's no money, and we have to do this full time. It ends up, it worked, shocked all of us. Our staff grew to 1,000. We had 1,000 full-time people for 10 years. I mean, this was their full-time occupation, and they raised the money from friends. They were doing the work of missions in the prayer room and the work of missions and all kinds of outreaches and different things, whatever, whatever. But for 10 years, we had about 1,000 staff. Now, at the 23-year mark, through COVID, we're down to about 600. But 600 full-time staff, that's our core organization. And the church, again, is an offshoot that came out of this. I'm not, I go to the church all the time. I teach at it a bit, but the day-to-day leadership of it, there's about 25 people that do that. Okay. That's all. And what would you say like the the goal or mission of IHOP is? The goal of mission in IHOP is to pray and to stir up the prayer movement. There's a, a lot of folks would not be aware of this. There's an exploding prayer movement in the earth. 25 years ago, before we started IHOP, and I'm not relating this to us, there were about, there were a couple thousand prayer rooms in the earth where they would pray a couple hours a day, you know, 10 people, two or three times a week, something like that. I don't know the real numbers, but today there's like 30 or 40,000 prayer rooms, not two or three, 30, 40, it's exploding in numbers. And so what happens, the folks that join us, they typically join us three, five, 10 years, then they go somewhere else. Some go to the marketplace, some go to college, uh, I mean, to a higher education, some go to a ministry, some go to their home church they came from five years earlier. But we've had over 20,000 full-time people over these 23 years, and 19,000 are back in, they've gone back home, 19,000. Mike, I'm and, a li- sorry, go ahead. I'm a little ignorant to all this. Why is a prayer house necessary? That's, well, that's gonna, a new I'll concept face, to me. I'll face one little point. Okay, sure. The point is that when they go back, we won't let them take our name. So that's why you're saying how many outlets or yeah. that's the thing I'm adamant about. When they go back home, they can't say International House of Prayer of Kansas City. So yeah. we've only got one outlet, us. Okay. It's probably a thousand groups around the world that wave at us and say, hey, we're your friends, but we don't have your name and they're not under us. I understand what you're doing, what uh, you mean by that as in like... I just wanted to know how big kind of you are or your organization, how far your reach goes. And I understand that once they break off from you, you don't control maybe their theology or what they think or their or actions. Nothing. Yeah, we nothing. are just friends. Yeah, okay. There's about a thousand of those groups that wave at us and say, we're your friends. And our web, I asked our web team about two years ago, because we had a, a young adult conference. We had about 20, 25,000 every year that would come at the end of the year for four days, right up to New Year's Eve. I mean, two New Year's Eve was the last and I said, I don't even know what our reach is. They said, we have 3 million unique visitors to our website every year. 3 million was a standard number. Many came many times and some only came one time, but 3 million unique people would come to our website and check in. Cool. So I don't know what that means. So so Kyle was asking about what, why would we even need a prayer room? But I want to, I would, do you want to ask that question, but I want to come back to it. Oh, no, ask uh, anything you want. You, I want to, I want to maybe get started with, uh, obviously you're a Christian, right? you believe in yeah yeah, yeah. really and, on fire all the way yeah <laughs> and i guess to say. i want to start with um the bible itself like that's how would you describe or define the bible to somebody who's never heard of it before i would say the bible is the inspired word of god which is the the final authority for <laughs> faith practice for people who call themselves christians 
It's the final authority for faith and practice. Do you think the words in it have to be taken literally? I've always been curious about that with people who are as successful as you, essentially, within the industry. Do you think the Bible should be taken serious, literally? How should one read the Bible? I think the Bible has, I'm making up this uh, number six or seven, eight types of literature. It has allegory. <laughs> it has prophetic. It has historical it has, I don't know what you call line up online, rote teaching. There's probably some good way to say that. There's five or six or seven types of literature. For sure, yeah. The the allegorical literature is not literal. You literally take it allegorically. Uh, it just all depends on what part of the Bible you're talking about. So to say all of it literal yeah. is not part of a question. It, uh, the part that is symbolic then take it symbolic because it's literally meant to be symbolic <laughs> yeah was it put together by god or written by him i'm confused about those things i tried to ask caleb them he doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> he was always playing too much rugby but he was a good kid though he was a lot of fun he was funny back then i, I hear you're funny now is that true caleb i try to be i'm funny sometimes <laughs> i was talking to some people about your family they said, well, then there's Caleb. He's the funniest one in the family. I just thought that was somebody in Santa Maria was telling me about the family. Tell that, tell that to my mom because she thinks she is. <laughs> well, your dad, your dad, you and me laugh a lot. That's true. He's, he doesn't laugh as much as us. <laughs> we got, he's got that big guffaw too. Gah! So do I. I got that from him. <laughs> I love Wesley. So the Bible... My wife tells me this, and then we'll get back to serious. Sure. My wife, we've been married 45 years. Yeah. And we've got uh, two sons and their wives and uh, six grandchildren and one on the way. So that's a quick snapshot. But my wife tells me, great, incredible lady. She goes, you know, you think you're funny, and you are. And she pauses. Occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's I talking hundred times over the last 30 years. My, nope. wa my wife thinks the same thing. Go. The only way to know if you're funny is to laugh at your own jokes, That's which true. I do constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think the Bible is the inspired word of God. God inspired humans and they wrote it through their own personalities. So you've got, it's, it's like a, a, a prophetic word. So that's confused. That's a confusing. What, what gives the humans the authority if it's inspired by God, if God wrote it, I understand that completely. If it's inspired by God, written by humans, where do they get that authority that it is? How do you know the difference between someone claiming they are and it's actually inspired by God? It would be God inspiring humans who wrote it through the grid of their personality and their mindset. Yeah, I know, but plenty of people claim that, and it's not in the Bible, that they speak to God and they write plenty of works that they claim God they're inspired I guess by God to write. A different way to ask the same question is how can one tell when God's speaking to them versus their own thoughts or inspirations? Okay, those are two real different questions. I'm oh. going to talk to Kyle's first. Okay. The guy who wrote it didn't get to determine that it was in the canon of Scripture. You know, the word canon is a fancy word. Yeah. It made not. Okay, mm -hmm. 39 books of the Old Testament, 29 in the New Testament, 27. 27. 60. 39, 27. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. 66 total. If, if my geography is right, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's total. And so the guys who wrote it did not get to determine at all. If they made the cut, it was generations later, whichever there's all kinds of debate. Well, I don't know about all kinds. There are debates about which councils 
were the authorized counsel to say this book is in, this book is out of the canon. Isn't that confusing to the modern reader? Because there are apocryphal books, like the book of Thomas yeah. and the book of uh, Enoch, which is actually the most quoted book by Jesus. And we read the book of Enoch on this podcast because it's wild, right? That's when the angels fall from heaven and the giants are making, and they're having a thousand feet tall and stuff. I get the, so, I mean, what do you do with that? Like that, for me, that was a big stumbling block that they couldn't agree on what books belong in. Well, there was at the end of the day, Again, I'm not a historian on this point. I, I know a little bit, yeah. but I, I'd be afraid some really smart guy would hear me and go, hey, Beckle, shut up. <laughs> right? But at the end of the day, there would have been two clusters. One took the apocryphal, and it's a whole big group of guys, and one big group didn't. But there isn't like 50 groups. There was two main ones, and... How they argued and debated and landed, I don't really know. Again, I've read it through the years, but I've been a pastor 45 years. I read that in my 20s, and I'm like, I can't remember now. But I went with the traditional Christian evangelical Protestant that all agree it's these 66 books, and they have for 2,000 years. Or well, mm -hmm. That's not true. More like 1,700 yeah. years, two 300 years after the first century before they came up with that list. And so the... The top bishops in the world all agreed with that list. I got a question. Some said no, throw in the other 12, I think, apocryphal books. So you got to pick between the two, and evangelical Christians pick that, so I just picked that. I've never read the apocryphal ones much, just a little bit. I'm a little bit unfamiliar with them, to be honest. To I, me, I, I mean, I'm aware of them, the yeah. Maccabees and all that, yeah, but I'm not, I've never studied them. To me, having a committee seems very human to me, and not at all from a, a god. And my question is, I guess, why wouldn't you be able to obviously tell the difference between a book that was written and inspired by God and one that wasn't? Why would you need a committee to decide that? Well, a if, committee kind of a, is not exactly the right way. We're talking about super educated men that invested 50 years in it. So it's not kind of some offside little church committee. But we have those people now who say that God isn't real. But, but no, I'm talking about the people who decided the canon of Scripture. It wasn't just kind of a little off-the-cuff committee. But it was humans, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It was human intervention that created the Bible and decided what yes. was in and what was out. Doesn't that seem a little, a little suspect? Non-obvious that it, those are God's chosen words if human beings decided it. Yeah, I don't know how the <clears throat> other, how is the what's the other option? That he's not real. Like I will. I guess it would be demonstrably obvious that this was divine is kind of the, like the point. Like, shouldn't we have a better evidence or like, shouldn't it just be obvious? No, no. Well, my point is there's a lot of religious texts yeah. that all claim to be the number one and theirs is true. And they all claim to be written, inspired by God, but they're written by humans. And the fact that they had to decide what was in the book inspired by God and what was clearly not apparently inspired by God and some stuff that was borderline that was in and then out and then in and then out. That doesn't seem, doesn't seem all knowing to me as I, is essentially what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand that it's a huge study. I mean, there's so much, it's so much bigger than, than the three of us are informed to have yeah. a, a really learned, intelligent conversation about because there's really smart people who are really invested for decades 
who took years doing this together. And it was not a small thing. They sure. just did. They were willing to die for it because they believed it that much. Okay. Smart guys with 50 years of investment. It wasn't an off the cuff group of guys. So sure. we don't no, I understand. So it's really hard for us to really peer into the depth of how they came up with all their conclusions. I believe the Bible has a lot of merit. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what validates it as a God text beyond other godly texts? There's plenty of them in, on earth that we have right now. Uh, from, from and you my, believe it's the one, obviously. I believe it's the inspired yeah. word of God. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And I believe it personally versus I don't believe the Quran is. I don't believe the Hindu book is. I don't believe the other book is, and the you and the, you know, uh, 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 we call New Age book, whatever books those are. I bet there's a bunch of them. I don't believe they are. I believe this is the only one. And the reason I believe it is because of a person with an experience is never at the mercy of somebody with an argument. And I have experienced the the reality of the Holy Spirit with powerful clarity in my life. And a person that has it. They just have to go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And I that totally makes sense that it does not make sense. But once you have a number of those experiences and the Lord speaks to you and he actually makes references to those verses and it's really God speaking and there's no question to you that then it, the, the evidence is not so hard. It's not it's not such a reach. But then nothing validates it beyond other religious texts. So, yeah, he said beyond own- personal experience, I mean. Because I yeah, have personal experience just as you do, correct? Those are equal, you we would say, right? I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't, <clears throat> no, not necessarily. I, I think the concept of personal experience is, mm-hmm. but there's real powerful and deep ones, and there's real superficial ones that are. I've had powerful and deep experiences that have led me in the opposite direction. I believe Caleb has too. I mean, we can get <clears throat> hung up on this point. We don't have to. We can move on. <laughs> this is kind of fun, actually. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I want to get to the experience things. I'm trying to build a foundation of like what we agree upon the Bible is before I get into some of these more complicated things about prayer and heaven and hell. Um, what is the point of the Bible? Why did God leave us the Bible? I like that question. That's interesting. Because he wants us to have an authoritative record, a record out of an authoritative statement of what is he considers orthodox faith or genuine faith that he he agrees with yeah. and way of life. So it's way of life and what are the doctrines? Is Jesus God or not God? Is heaven real or not real? Is there truly a judgment at the end or not? Those I are- have all three of those questions written down if you want to answer those <laughs> right now. I'm serious. So like... I don't know what you're asking. Okay. Is Jesus... Okay, so the Bible itself... The point is an, an orthodox, a guiding. So these are the laws, God's law, or what God wants, and God's what God what God did, and what He wants to do, right? So, uh, I'll say what I think or how I've understood the Bible. So Jesus became man and had to die on the cross to pay for our sins, so that we could all go to heaven. And if you don't believe this, you go to hell. Is that God became man? You mean Jesus is God and yeah. became man? Yes. Is that what you believe as well? Yes. So you yes, believe in heaven and hell? 100%. Okay. So this, hell was really my main... Eternal. I believe both of them are eternal. Eternal. And torment, punishment, hell is like a terrible place. And God made it. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and he sends you there if you don't believe in him forever. See, that was probably the first part where I started to like I, this doesn't make sense to me. So why? Tell me why that doesn't make sense. So God loves us, yes. created yes, us. Just you to tell me. Okay. So um, this this is it. The Bible says over and over that God knows us individually. You know, he numbered the hairs on our, our heads. He's got plans for us. Our names are written in his book of life or whatever. I can't imagine that people were created to go to hell. And spe my specific, all the example I have is Judas. Somebody had to portray Christ because it was prophesied that there would be a betrayal. So somebody had to do it. And that person was sent to hell, it says somewhere i can't i'll find the verse if i have to you don't have to i got it yeah yeah so that in my head means at least one person was created to be sent to hell forever and that's such an injustice to me that that was like the first thread where i stopped stopped believing in any of this altogether so i do you just i don't know how would you answer that yeah that's so you thought how could a god of love have a hell. Have so a hell and send so many people. I think the Create reason someone destined yeah. to be sent to hell. So hell itself is bad. That's terrible. Then people go there, but there's still the kind of out that they choose to go there. But Judas or the figure who betrayed Christ, there was a, a person created to be damned to hell forever in my version of this logic. I, don't know. I wouldn't look at it that way. I would say that. It's like uh, the Lord looked ahead and he he needed a person who would be progressively choose to rebel against him. And I don't think it had to be Judas versus, versus Billy or Tommy, but the Lord knew it would be a man that had a, a repeated response yes. of no, no, no. And the Lord says, I need a guy who says no in the drama. So there... I didn't say no. And you're thinking he made him say no. And I'm thinking he chose a man that he knew would repeatedly say no. No, no, no. no. Say no. Go ahead. I'm not quite saying that. I'm saying that there was a position of a guy that would say no, an uh, an anonymous, a seat with no one's name over it, reserved in hell for somebody. Somebody had to betray Jesus. So given that that was the position, so there was somebody for sure. Hell hypothetically could be empty if everyone chose to believe in Christ, right? Except this one seat. That, at least that guy had to go there, right? Yes, I still think that's a wrong mindset. Meaning, I think the Lord knew there'd be a million who would repeatedly say no. And having one of them... Then why would he make the place and send a million people there? Well, to me, it's the big picture story is for love to be love, there has to be free choice, right? Okay, yeah. God wanted a race of people who loved him. So therefore, he took the risk of giving them the choice of them not loving him. So and he doesn't want anyone to not love him. But to have genuine love, there has to be the possibility of anti-love. Okay, now we're in it. Okay. okay, and so he creates, he says, I want this family that voluntarily chooses me. Where's but I don't understand if I'm going to go for that, this is all less than perfect thinking i'm sure when i stand before god he'll say mike i love your heart you didn't exactly say that right at all <laughs> and anyway we're gonna so, do that plenty yeah yeah so just put up with my human weakness so i am so committed the lord saying to having a family that chose love for love to be real they chose love for me and they chose love for one another it has to be real 
So therefore, I've got to give the real option of people who don't choose it. And I know that option's real. And I know that if I make a billion people, many of them are going to choose no. But I need some out of that group to choose no. Some of them will fit in my drama that I'm accomplishing other things for. I'm not making them choose no, but I need a no chooser in the storyline to go. And so you might say, okay, he, they said no. Why doesn't he, he just, uh, you know, when they die, he, we forgive him and we're, we're all clean. And I think that when people die, you're thinking they're back to neutral. I think, and I have a lot of reasons for thinking it, they're more angry at God after they die than before they die because they're still real people. You're thinking they're neutral, so I'd be not? furious. I'd be furious if I died <clears throat> and that was real. I, I, yeah. I in well, fact, can't believe... It's so preposterous. I think an unbeliever who dies, who's in rebellion against God, they are more <clears throat> angry at God a year or two later, not less angry. And we're thinking... They ought to be back at neutral game. You know, it's like the end of the game tied. Now we're going to score. We're in overtime. The score zero zero. It doesn't end that way. A guy that's been in hell for a hundred years hates God more than he did when he first, the day he first went there. And that's a point I'm convinced of. That would be a new idea to you. And so God says, well, wait, I could, <clears throat> I have this other problem because in Genesis one, they're created in the image of God. They have an eternal spirit. Yes. They will never, ever not exist. Never. I can't wave my hand and make them disappear. They're created in my image. That was part of the risk. They chose no. They're more committed to no than yes. Even in torment, they hate me more. I can't make them disappear, and I can't let them in my family because they're still living, acting, hating, uh, rebellious people, and I want a family full of unity and love. And so I got got to put them somewhere because they won't disappear. They won't go away on their own. So I put a place for them that will be with each other. Which they is terrible, though. But it's like on gnashing of teeth and weeping and fire. It seems, I don't know, that seems not loving to me. It seems, it's not like we'll just put them, in, even, I don't know, what's better? Got, total isolation? No, they're all <laughs> terrible. But I got a biblical well, question specifically. What would be the know. best? in my opinion, from our human space, is <clears throat> annihilation. They just cease to exist. That's what I hope. I know, but the problem is they're created in God's image, and that, that option may not exist, and that might be something we're not that we're not aware of how big of a deal that well, is. Well, if that is true, most people who've ever lived on this earth are going to hell by a large margin. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like, a, it seems like an ineffective tool if I was a deity and I was trying to make people love me. All I'm saying is, the vast majority of people who've ever existed are going to hell by a huge margin. Seems ineffective. But I, I have a question about the Bible specifically because I don't actually know this. Did the concept of hell exist pre-Jesus? And did, the con- and did the concept of loving God and that being the goal exist pre-Jesus also? Yeah, hell existed a little bit in the Old <clears throat> Testament. It's mentioned, but there's not a... There's not a robust theology of it in the New Testament. There's hints of it. But pre-Jesus, would I go to hell if I didn't believe in Jesus? He didn't exist yet. You know what I mean? There was no... Uh, Salvation yet. Yeah. Well, they were killing animals for sacrifice. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. though. So until Jesus came back, everyone on earth was kind of good. There, No one was going to hell. But they were going somewhere. So pre that was everyone going to heaven. 
Yeah, that's not exactly it, but I understand. Oh, no, I don't understand it. What is it? Actually, I didn't get as far as Caleb in the Bible yet. So Kyle's only read up to Second Chronicles. He doesn't know anything about Jesus or the New Testament. You know, so he knows nothing about Nehemiah or any no. of those. Books. No, no, <laughs> no. I don't know. I'm just telling you, trust me. <laughs> well, tell him, give him a little tip off about Song of Solomon before he gets there. Okay. We've listened to uh, your praying the Bible. Uh, yeah, like the kisses of your neck and all that stuff. <laughs> so he's already got a little song of Solomon a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want you to surprise that on him. That might embarrass him on a live podcast. <laughs> Kyle doesn't get embarrassed. He's like pretty sensitive, you know. I just didn't want to embarrass him. No, yeah. I'm kidding. It's having fun. <laughs> no, I'm a I'm a lighthearted guy. So yeah, I, know, I can see that. I wouldn't be joking. <laughs> no, but I, that question though is a very where did if if before Jesus. They talked about Sheol or the grave or like basically a waiting room. How do you know if you went to hell? Well, you'd be in a waiting room. No, I mean, now you accept Jesus in your heart or whatever. Yeah. And you follow his teachings or you go to hell, Well, which most people don't do. Before that, you can answer it too. I'll jump what, in. What happened? It was only four Jews up until Jesus. It was that God's true? chosen people and Gentiles were out, right? I wouldn't say that. We're speculating. There's there's details of this we don't know, and we can only guess. Well, if what, most of the world was ignorant to the concept of God at that point, where did they go when they died, do you think? I, I don't need to have a big opinion about that because I got too many other big opinions about things I really can't know about. Yeah. To get off the main narrative of God's storyline with the human race to speculate on my on details way at the side. But it's we in, only- well, it's in the Bible. It just seems like a a it's, large part of the Bible is the Old Testament, right? Yeah. I, well, in Mike's defense, that's kind of an unanswerable question. Where did they go? Who knows? It doesn't say much about it, right? The Bible it doesn't because the Lord's saying that's not what I want in the conversation. So I'm not going to give you that information. I want you to stay on the information I do give you clearly. Not Fair the enough. Spe- well, I've just never heard of the concept of um, all. I didn't. I didn't. I've never heard anyone say this. It might be very common. Yeah. But the whole concept of we're made in their image, so our image never dies or or lives forever. Yeah. Is what you said, I think. Yeah, we're yeah, all immortals. One, I mean, you've heard this that God, <clears throat> God said, "Let's make man in our own image after yeah. our own life." You've heard that phrase, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, that's that's the famous phrase. Everyone knows that it shows up in Christmas cards and everything. <laughs> Being made in the image of God is actually different than angels. Angels aren't. Only humans are. Animals are. Have you we seen have, angels? Are not made in the image of God. No. Well, angels will never be part of God's family. They'll be servants to God, but only humans will be part of his actual family. Have you have you yourself seen angels? Yeah, yeah. What, I have. What was that like? Did, can you oh, tell me about getting, that? Are we taking a left turn? Oh, yeah, we're kind of it's kind of conversational wherever it goes. I'm very I'm very curious about that. Okay. What do they look uh, like? But I'm going to finish the, the one point, and I don't mind. Oh, yeah, sure. finish. Sure. As long as you're not thinking I'm dodging the question that you no. asked me. Because, uh, but made in the image of God, this is a new idea to you. We have an eternal spirit. It will not just vanish or disappear. That creates a dilemma for the human experience. But it's awesome if you choose right, because now you're for ever in bliss you're forever in the family but if you choose wrong you're forever outside the family you never disappear and so that's a lot of folks that are troubled by hell haven't 
reckons with the problem of the human spirit that never ends. Let, let's linger on the choice then. Um, I said let's linger on the choice. So there's some verses in the Bible that would lead me to believe that there is no choice, that God has a plan or a destiny that will be fulfilled, and you know, you're in the book of life or you're not. Some people's names get blotted out, which is crazy to me that you would be in then out. Um, you know, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Judas's heart was hardened as in they at the, the choice was removed at a certain point. I've heard Christians argue that the choice had already been made and then it was solidified. But there at least like, I don't know. What do you think about the divine plan? And like how much is predetermined and how much is open in your in your in your world oh, oh great these are great questions uh if you go to pharaoh 10 and book of exodus is pharaoh you guys have already got the yeah. exodus and that was hard getting to the last 20 chapters of exodus oh it's man the, the dimensions of the tent for 10 chapters <laughs> that's not easy reading we made it work we made it work i bet you had a blast in leviticus but anyway <laughs> <laughs> my goodness but uh, in the book of Exodus, that's the major Pharaoh's storyline is Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> ten times Pharaoh hardens his heart, his own heart. And ten times God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so God hardens the one. When the one says no, the Lord woos them. If they say no and stay with them, he makes them more hardened. And so being hardened is a judgment on one that chooses to be hardened. And so God doesn't harden people who do not harden themselves on the front end. He doesn't choose them on the front end to be hardened, but he needs hardened people in his overall storyline. They choose it. They choose no. And the Lord says, I need you more stubborn. Since you're no permanently, I need you more stubborn because I'm going to create a part of the drama that's going to have a redemptive part for my people, but I need stubborn people. I'm not going to make you stubborn initially, but I'm going to make you more resolute in your stubbornness. That's what the hardness would be. Okay. It's Romans. I'll give you one more verse and you'll get there one of these days, maybe in three years. Romans, <laughs> Probably. Romans, I love it. You're doing it because you're going to run into all kinds of. Oh dude. Yes. New, new conversations, new relationships. I think it's, I think you're on a surprising journey, and in ten years you'll look back and think, "Who would have thought?" Five <laughs> now, Caleb. You'll be forty-five. You'll be fifty-five in a minute. Who would have guessed what that one year that lasted seven-year journey through the Bible was going to do to my mind, my family, my friendships, and my relationships? Anyway, that's I'm just going far ahead because one minute ago I was twenty, then a minute later I was forty, then a minute later I'm sixty. You'll be, you're 35, you'll be 65 in one minute. Oh, and you're not, you think from a longer point of view. And you you know, won't remember you, it either. <laughs> there you go. You get there so fast. But this is, this isn't really your point, but, but this Bible beaters journey <clears throat> might have a surprising turn and twist, but it has a lot of goodness in it. Anyway, I just got this super, I got this suspicious feeling. This is going to end. That's the surprise <laughs> ending. Is We're going to do we, a heel turn. We come back to the faith. <laughs> But anyway, so if you get to Romans 1 in three years, that's the point I started yeah. with. Because uh, uh, I'm predicting as seven years it's going to take you to get through the whole thing. That's not a real prediction. That's a joke prediction. Yeah. But 1, verse 24, and you might, this is a good passage to get in your brain. Romans 1, verse 24, 26, 28. So just think the last chunk of Romans 1. 
three times it says, the people did no against God so that he turned them over to their own thinking, to their own way. They said more no. He said, okay, I'll turn you over more to your own thinking. When God turns a person over to their own way of thinking, that's called he hardens them. It means he gives them more liberty to go the way they want to go without stopping them. That's what it means he hardens them. He takes his restraining hand off and lets more of them come into light. And they get, this is a stupid way to say it, they get, they're addicted to become more like they are. And when the Lord's restraining hand is drawn back, more of them is a judgment on them. They don't know that. They think they're amazing. More of them will destroy them. And that's called God gave them over to themselves. He gave them over to a, their own debauched mind. That giving over of Romans 1, verse again, 24, 26, 28, is the hardening of the heart of other passages. So it's really the Lord taking his hand off Judas and letting Judas and Pharaoh go and be who they really want to be with no restraint because God needed somebody that stubborn in the drama. Do you think if uh, if God gave everyone profound experiences as you experienced that everyone would then believe in God? I, I don't even need to have an opinion about that. I, I need to know my storyline is that God is incredibly wise, incredibly good. His resume is so good that I don't have to speculate how he should do it different. Okay, but it was very effective to you, the experience you had. It's If he could, uh, if he could replicate that, which he could, he chooses not to. He allows people to take a different path when clearly he could step in and give them a profound experience like you experienced, including yeah, seeing I, angels and everything else. I've had a, quite a few uh, profound experiences, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that in a boastful way, like, all right, hot shot. That's not my point, because if you have profound experiences, you're more responsible, actually. At first, it's like, wow, but later I go, wait a second, the the score just got, the standard just got higher now. Okay, that's interesting. But uh, anyway, my overall storyline is, which would be different than yours, is that God's resume of goodness and kindness and mercifulness is so profound and so established that any human speculation that he's not goes against this long storyline and history of goodness and power and wisdom. And so I'm always hesitant to, to kind of, uh, you know, pick a little piece of information out of history hypothetically to prove that he is less than who his resume says he is. I go look at the stars. I go, you're really smart. Well, that's not, and, that's not really what I mean. What I meant was uh, that most people are going to hell because they don't believe in God. And he d chooses not to step in and expose himself to them like he did to you. Like, I'm going to hell. Yeah, yeah. Who knows if that, I don't know if that's true. If I saw angels, I wouldn't. I promise you I would believe in God. Uh, maybe. I would. Maybe. For yeah, no, I love that. That's a great. I love that you said that because that's on record. It is. <laughs> I, that is a fact. I do. I'm, I change my opinion all the time. Oh, Lord. Lord, release angels to Kyle. I ask you, Lord, shock him. Please. Could you imagine Send if one showed up right house. now? Yeah, I would believe. I would, there would be no debate. Yeah, uh, no, right. Especially right. if we had it on video. Yeah, okay. Um, in regards to God's goodness, I want to talk about that. But I have one more question in this vein of uh, free. How do you see God... Um, is, do you see him as like kind of the administrator of the universe, the guy that turned it on and like, does he know everything that's going to happen before it happens? Does he have a plan? Is he reacting to things? 
How, like, what's your opinion on that? I think that he has foreknowledge of the future, but foreknowledge is not the same thing as uh, a determinate. Like, I can know something you're going to do. Like, I take but my you, son, two sons. I have knowledge about them. Yeah. Guess, in my human weak wisdom, I can guess what their choices will be in a lot of areas. And a lot of times, my guess would be really accurate. But me having knowledge of what they will choose is not the same thing of me making them choose it. So foreknowledge and predestination are not the same thing. So when God, in this view, I've thought about this a lot. So in this view, God kind of turned on the universe or when he had the idea to create the universe, instantly he knew the entire path that the universe would take, correct? Yes. And so it can't really go off that path, correct? Well, if if the path is I want mature voluntary love, I have to give options. So I know there will be off the path options of, of different individuals in order to get the end that I want. And I'm aware of the risk is the wrong word. I heard some guys say God took a risk. It, and that's poetic language. That's not actual. Because yeah. God knew what it would cost <laughs> him if he had a billions of people with voluntary love. He knew there would be those that did not choose it. So like in the book story of Noah, God regrets creating the word and the word regret is used in almost every translation as in he made a mistake. I like, what do you think? Yeah, no, that that's a hard one. There's about 10, there's two camps in the body of Christ. Uh, I mean, the majority of the camp, is that God has all foreknowledge, but more and more people is God has perfect wisdom, but he doesn't actually claim to know all the choices. And so that God is actually watching humans choose. And those debates are are in the body of Christ. Yeah. And theologians debate all of that all the time. Why would he not make that clear in the book? And why is there enough evidence for both sides? I don't know. Like I, a lot of the questions I ask you, I know you can't answer, but oh, well, you, you, thank you. But you're you're the guy I got in front of you, and you're the person I, I was like. If anyone could answer this, it's Mike. But I don't know if anyone could answer this. Uh, I think there, there. Excuse me. There are ten or fifteen verses that this group of theologians prove that God does not know the future perfectly, but He has perfect wisdom, so He can or tell the future by wisdom, but not by being in the future. So then the of- other theologians say, no, that's heresy. Then, then, But then these guys would say they would go right to Genesis 6 about God regretting. That's the one of the first verses <laughs> that go to. Yeah. And there's 10 or 12 of those verses where God regrets or God asks a question or God says, I wonder, or not a, I wonder, but will this happen? He, he asks a question rhetorically as though he doesn't know the answer. There's about 10 or 12 of those verses and why they are in there, I'm not sure. Uh, because I know that he has perfect wisdom and he has perfect insight, but that's not the same thing as making people choose evil. He does not make anyone choose evil, but he makes, he gives people over to their own way where they become more of their true self in a way that damages them. And it actually serves God's purpose because there are, there's double down stubborn players in the drama that are necessary, but he doesn't make them that way, but he uses them when they determine to be that way. Okay. So let's uh, move on well, to I said that 10 times. I'll quit making that a point. bit of an, a different, same but different topic. 
Jesus is Jesus is God, correct? Like the, uh, I want to yeah. talk about like the Trinity, so to speak. So we have God the Father, and Jesus is God, and Jesus is a lot nicer than the Old Testament God. And uh, so, are those the same guy? How do you think about the Trinity? One hundred percent the same. Okay. The idea that uh, God in the Old Testament is wrathful and mean, and God in the New Testament is loving, is a completely wrong idea. God in the Old Testament is wrathful and loving. God in the New Testament is wrathful and loving, identically the same God. The idea of the two gods different is a is an argument, but it's so easy to answer that. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with you. That, that's a, a very shallow argument. The wrath. Okay, so let's. I want to get to the wrath, but I have a few questions about the Trinity philosophically. So, why? I know I keep asking this why question, but. When oh, Jesus that. is on the cross and he's talking to his father in heaven, what is going, what kind of absurd exercise is that to talk to yourself on the cross? And what kind of a sacrifice is it if you know you're going to be back in three days? Like, it must have hurt. A lot of people have been tortured to death. But, like, how, I, A, I don't really see that as a sacrifice because he came back to, to life. Why was it necessary for him to be tortured? Why is that the mechanism that God would choose? And be the absurdity of, or see the absurdity of God talking to himself, asking questions. And it, it doesn't really, I don't know. When you read it, it sounds like two different people. And we have God the Father, like, and the Son. It's, God he, the Father, Son, and Spirit are three distinct persons. But the Bible calls them, in essence, one God because they have such unity of mind and heart and will they act in total unity as one but three distinct persons with three distinct job descriptions and roles actually and those roles and functions they call it the functionality within the trinity the the uh, the, the father is the boss the son obeys him and the spirit honors those two but they're all equally god and they're all equally divine and yet, if they're equally divine, I mean, that's what Islam says. That's so confusing. Or even Judaism. I uh, that, makes, yeah. that makes it three gods. But God would say, we are in such perfect unity of heart and mind and will. We're one God. And they go, okay. Mm -hmm. And and so they, the Christian theologians call it, and, and I would agree with this, the mystery of the Trinity, that three distinct yeah. persons be Bishop so unified. They are declared as one. It actually kind of makes sense to me. I've defended this point on the podcast to Caleb. I think he doesn't like it. I, I think it. you could think about it like two hemispheres of a brain talking to each other. You are still one person, but two hemispheres of the brain do radically different jobs. So I think you can rationalize Jesus and God yeah. speaking to itself like your own brain does. The quote... Oh, hey. Kyle, would you tell Caleb to get with it? <laughs> <laughs> the quote... The Bishop Alexander said to Arius in the debates at the First Council of Nicaea, reason must bow to the mystery of the Trinity, and I refuse. I refuse to let reason bow. Um, I want to talk about... I want to make one comment. Yeah. Reason in one sense doesn't bow, but our, in, our incredibly lack of information in our reason is the real weakness. So why didn't he reason. give us more information? Why wouldn't he make this easy on us? If such little pieces of the puzzle, that's <clears throat> the whole of it's called reason. I would say those little pieces should bow, but reason itself should not bow because reason 
in, uh, that's too philosophical. To I know what you that. mean. I know what you mean, though. You don't. You can't abandon all logic and just believe in nonsense. So there should be some sort of underlying structure, foundational. Yeah. Um, you meant you brought up God's goodness, and I want to read some more difficult passages from the Bible here. Um, stuff that God did. From, so from my to add on to that very briefly, yeah. from my experience of only reading the Old Testament. God seems to have a pattern of doing, in my opinion, as a human, horrible things and then saying he's doing nice things after. Like, saying it was nice, but in my mind seems pretty bad. He's like, bad. you're my children who I love, 10,000 deaths. Like, it, I'll just read this one little story here. This is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse of them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the ewes. And he went to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So we have some children taunting the prophet. He, in the name of the Lord, curses them. Two bears come out and maul the children. I'm going to presume to death. Maybe they were just maimed. Probably to death, probably. Uh what kind of justice is that? Is that love? Yeah, well, it, it depends on what view you're looking at. Meaning, it, 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 I mean, it's difficult for our human thing. We think in 70-year time frames, God's thinking in the 6,000-year trajectory of human history from the, from the Garden of Eden to today, approximately 6,000 years, if you take the years literal, which I do, and God's thinking of the 10 billion year storyline. We're thinking of the 70 year storyline. What's one bear mauling in infinity? Yeah, well, no, it's not that. It's what does the community of Israel think about the God and his prophets and how serious God takes them? Is it a joke if the one prophet or two prophets on the earth are mocked by men in the Jewish community? Where does the God of Israel stand in that community? And what statement does God make that those prophets are totally cast aside? Where's the future of the Jewish nation going? If that's the storyline of how God views, how the people of God view the prophets of God and view the word of God, there's levels to all of that. Okay. Only about a bear killing a kid, then, then that's a hard. But if you think of what about a nation who doesn't honor the word of God to them, and they think it's a joke. And where does that nation go a hundred years and a thousand years and a million years later? Where's the big storyline of the multitudes of the people involved in that? It's, it's all connected. There's trajectory in all of this. And when you take a thing out of the trajectory, it's very difficult to interpret it in its fullness. It seems like a blunt mechanism for an all-powerful being to murder children to get its point across. Now, it seems like the whole community around said, you know what? The God of Israel's dead serious, and we better tell our children and their children from now on. This is not a joke. Yeah, so God mentions that over and over. I will bless for uh, seven generations, and I will punish to the third and fourth generation. I have a big problem with that, too, generational punishment. Why should you be punished for the sins of the father? That's three or four generations later punishing people who weren't around for when the crime was committed is very unfair in my world. Yes, and, and again, I interpret that quite differently than, than you do because there's a number of other verses where God makes it clear the children are not judged because of what the parents do, like Ezekiel 33. What Ezekiel about... 30 
when right. God killed David's son to punish David. Well, I'm gonna go back to the to the first one. So the judgment of three generations is, is telling. I'll, I'll say it to you. So that, that, don't take this personal. I'm yep. trying to make it real. Yep. It's like if I came to you and said, if you are drunkards and you are perverse sexual addicts, correct, <laughs> and that's how you live. I guarantee you, your sons and daughters will be like you most likely, and probably <laughs> so will their sons and daughters be like that. So you really need to think of a bigger storyline than the fact you need another hit, another addiction, because your kids and grandkids are going to actually be in the trajectory of the way you train them and the values of your home. It will pass on for three or four generations if you don't stop it now. Generation. So it's warning to a father about his grandchildren more than innocent grandchildren are now wiped out because they had a bad grandfather. They were trained in those ways. Like for instance, my father, his, uh, this is a, how it goes opposite. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My father, who was a world champion boxer, actually great athlete with the Olympics became an alcoholic. I grew up in the bars like my father did. Some, I grew up in the bars. I went to the bars when I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 weekend after weekend. There's so many reasons I should be a bar going alcoholic because that's all I ever saw. And that's all my father ever saw. But somehow, by the grace of God, I didn't. And now my sons don't go to the bars on weekend. Yeah. The, bro- the chain has been broken. That doesn't mean that they couldn't turn that way and affect their sons. And so that's what the three and four generation thing means. I get hung it's- up on like, I will punish. Like, I will punish. Not they will punish themselves. Well, I, I think probably... You're again. You're probably isolating. You're kind of like, ah, this God, I got a problem with you. No, says take a step back. I will take my hand off, and you will see my punishment on your children because I'm going to let your children be like you because I'm going to honor the father principle that I've put in your hands, and you're abusing it, and I'm going to allow you to pay the penalty for that. Because 20 generations later, they're going to read history and see it really is three or four generations. The pain of wrong decisions really does last that way. 20 generations later, they'll have a record of this. So everything is in trajectories. You can't pull out these isolated statements, put them on shelves, study them, and try to comprehend the God that's always in the trajectory of the the thousand-year, million-year storyline, and we're in the 70-year storyline. Okay. I mean, thanks for your answer. That makes sense. Um, I'm just cognizant of how much time we have left and how much more stuff I want to talk about. Um, we, we talked about angels and vegetations and things. Uh, you saw angels. Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, but with your permission only. Yeah. 30 minutes ago, yeah. Kyle, how about those people who went to hell in the Old Testament? Where yeah. are they now? I can answer that in 90 seconds. Yeah, I've been go ahead. Holy- Five minutes or 20 minutes. Okay, sure. Because you're going to get to Luke 16 sooner or later. Again, year five. (laughs) (laughs) Luke 16, Jesus talks about this man who went, uh, uh, the rich man in Lazarus. And you can maybe jot that down because I might be curious to go study it out. Even look it on the internet, you'll get a bunch of insights on it. And so what happened is that this rich man uh, uh, and Lazarus, Lazarus, di- they both die. Lazarus, it's not Lazarus, the guy who was raised from the dead. There's two different, different Lazarus. Lazarus. Yeah, it's the slave, right? Where he says, "Go home, your faith." The yeah, anyway, he's a different guy. He dies and goes to Abraham's bosom. 
He goes down into the center of the earth. What does that Abraham mean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's the part I'm trying to say is that Sheol in the Old Testament had two departments. They had the punishment department and they had the, uh, 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 what I don't want to call it, the temporary waiting room department. That's a horrible Pur thing. Yeah, purgatory, so to speak. Not really. Purgatory is a little bit different idea. Because that's it. I don't want to use that word. Yeah, that the in-between. Yeah, no, no, it's not in between. It's it's the temporary holding pattern of the righteous. Okay. It's called Abraham's bosom. When David died, his spirit went there. Spirit didn't go up. It went down to Abraham's bosom because the price of sin had not been paid for. The killing of blood of bulls and goats were promissory notes that Jesus would be the fulfillment of. But gee, they were not actually forgiven in the full sense. I mean, they're forgiven. Yes, they are forgiven. But until Jesus paid those promissory notes, they don't go up to paradise up in heaven. They're down in Abraham's bosom. And so when... What are they the, doing down uh, there? They go to the negative side. When the righteous died, they go to the positive side. When Jesus paid the price, he goes down into Abraham's bosom. And he leads, it says in Hebrews, I mean, Ephesians 4, 11, he leads captivity captive. That's a strange phrase. He takes these captives of, of, of Abraham's bosom. He leads them up to paradise because now the promissory note of the bulls and goats have been paid by his own blood because those are only foreshadowing. Those didn't really accomplish anything. Those are just people in the Old Testament saying, we believe that when the Messiah comes, they didn't have it all clear like this. We believe that when you do this, in the final way that these promissory notes will matter. That's all we know. We don't know what it looks like, but it was a man who paid for the price of his own uh, sin. And the reason the three days, what, however, I mean, the three hours, three days, people debate how much the wrath of God was on him. Because it isn't just that Jesus died and resuscitated three days later. It's that he bore the wrath of God and he never, his, ever himself, known. his own yes. wrath come on his soul that was the anguish was the wrath of god not the fact he was three days without a human resurrected body that was not the big payoff the payoff was the wrath of god on him that's why he said father why have you forsaken me because the wrath came on him but when he knew it when he said father father why have you forsaken me that wasn't really a a, a question he was quoting psalm 22 that verse one yeah which is, father father why have you forsaken me because in the old testament Many of the Psalms, they were not titled by the number Psalm 22. They were titled by the first sentence. How can he forsake himself? <clears throat> oh, no, he's not the Father's forsaking him. And so Jesus is on the cross and he goes, Father, why are you forsaking me? He's tipping us off theologically. The wrath of God's coming on him that was due to us. But he was telling the bystanders, read Psalm 22 and you'll see what's but happening. That's the wrath of himself, correct? No, it's the wrath of the Father came upon him. So in that Jesus. instance, the father was not experiencing the wrath that the son was experiencing. Yes, right. Yes. This, uh, for that instance, again, this is smarter. I'm not as smart as I'm pretending to be. This is <laughs> okay. like, like, oh, you really understand the details. So I want to say this softly. But Jesus, who is fully God, and Jesus, who became a man, is the same Jesus. But the mystery of the man who never used his deity while he was a man in his humanity, he never drew on his deity. That man in his human emotions and brain felt the wrath of God on him. Some say for three hours only, because at the end of, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Three hours later, he says, into your hand I commit my spirit. So many theologians say it was a three-hour point of judgment. 
Another say it's three days, and there's ten arguments on the internet. I don't want to get into all of that, yeah, but it's one that. or the yeah. other. But Those the seem like is, completely contradictory ideas, but I'm sure there's very complex discussions about it. Yeah, but it was during the wrath, not the losing of three days of life on the earth, and you got it all back anyway, so what's the big deal? Because I agree with that. Like, if you die and three days later you're alive forever, well, it's not that big a deal. If you die, but if you bear the wrath of God, that's a pretty big deal. Okay. <laughs> um, kind of feels like pinching yourself, though, no? Tell me about... No, because it's God the Father pinching the human, the, man, the human man. I know. Like, I'm, my, I'm my brain pinching my skin, pinching my nerves, sending the signals back to my brain. Either that or it <clears throat> leads you to believe that they're different entities. Like they can't be one and the same if one is experiencing the wrath and the other one is giving the wrath. Yeah, no, that that is right. There are three persons but one essence. I know. And they, again, it's the mystery of the Trinity. Oh, I don't we, get it again. <laughs> it doesn't we'll move matter. On. Yeah. yeah. What was it like to see an angel... Or tell me about that experience. Uh, okay. Uh, How did it happen? In what context, if you don't mind sharing that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. I've kind of had a couple of encounters. I'm thinking of the most practical that I would have put on record, just throwing it out to the wind. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, because you, you throw, I, I don't want to act all super sensitive, but you got precious things. You just don't want them all thrown out in the debate class. You know? No, yeah, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. You don't have to share if you don't feel like it. No, 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 no I will. <laughs> I've heard the audible voice of God several times, wide awake, thunderous, audible voice of God a couple times, so which I'm 100% sure was God and not a demon and not my imagination. Were you alone? Uh, well, I'll, t I'll tell you one right now is that I'm laying on my bed on a Saturday morning this is back in April 1984, so 40 years ago, literally. I'm laying on my bed. I'm wide awake. My wife is laying next to me, and I hear this thunderous voice. It says, I have a message for you. Call Bob Jones. I, I couldn't believe I heard it. It was so thunderous. It was like coming from 20 miles away and yet coming out of my belly. It felt like it was coming in stereo in two places. It was so stunning. I was just like paralyzed by it. And my wife is sound asleep. I went, oh, my God. She goes, it was about six in the morning. She goes, what? I go, oh, I'm sorry. Did you hear that? She goes, no. I get up. It just so happens we have a Saturday morning prayer meeting. So I went to the prayer meeting. When I came home from the prayer meeting Saturday morning. My, I didn't say anything to my wife. I just went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And because and, she was still sleeping and didn't want a conversation since 6 a.m., but I was wide awake because I got up every morning at 6 a.m., so I was awake anyway on Saturday morning. And so I was just laying there in bed thinking. Then I get home from the prayer meeting, and Bob Jones calls me and says, I got a message from the Lord that he told me to call you today and give it to you. And, and I didn't go, unbelievable. I said, what was your message? And he did not know that four hours earlier I heard that audible voice and he gave me, literally that day, called me and said, the Lord told me he visited you and that I would have a message for you. And I just said, well, if you do give it, I, I was never one to say, wow, amazing, tell me. Because then they, if you do that, they guys tend to add a little hamburger helper. You know, if, if you I get know what you're talking about. What's that? I said, I know what you're talking about. They get yeah. carried away. Yeah, so that, that was one time. And, and the fact that that happened one time and that very day, four hours later, there, I, there's no thought. But what was the message? It was about humility. You don't. We don't want to take five minutes on that. Yeah. But it was about humility. 
necessary that the Lord was going to give me leadership in a, a young adult movement. What's well, true, 40 years later I am, but 40 years ago that didn't make any sense to me at all. But he would want humility on the platform. He would want humility in prophetic experiences. We want humility on the way things are reported. He wants humility on the style of ministry. He wanted humility. He was so in April 1984, that became so real to me. I began our worship teams, our preachers, our prophetic people. I said, you cannot put hamburger helper in what you're doing. The Lord is really important because one day there's this thing is going to multiply to millions of young people, which didn't make any sense to me. There's no internet. Nobody knows me. But I go, we're going to have singers and musicians. I mean, the day I met Bob Jones, he told me that 40 years ago. He said, you're going to have singers and musicians. And uh, there's going to be millions of them around the world. And That's you're Harp and be- Bull, right? Was that you that came up with that or my mom? Uh, I don't know. I came up with Harp and Bull. I don't know who else did. But but my point is, in 1983, it was actually March 83. So it's six months from now, being my 40-year anniversary. He walked into my office. I'm 27 years old. I'm 67 now. And he's a total stranger to me. And the day he meets me and he says, uh, uh, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Bob Jones. I mean, Caleb would know a bit about him. Probably I know all about know. Bob Jones. Okay. I, I, yeah. There's all kinds of good, bad, and ugly. My, my dad. But a good man. A, a lot of good, good stuff. But some crazy stuff I could never buy or believe and some stuff I don't accept. But he probably, I'm making this number up. He probably told me a thousand things. And 25 of them I retell over and over. Yeah. And 975 I don't retell because I don't even remember half of them. And so there's only a few that I took. Dude, and so he was. My dad, his my dad, whenever we were driving to the next gig or the next church, would listen to your tapes. Oh, and I've heard, that. I've yeah, I've heard probably hundreds of hours of your I'm Bob sorry. Jones stories. <laughs> I love the way your dad loves us, but I'm sorry. I, I I don't know, man. I I I'm I'm here for it. Um, did you ever though see? I'm I want to know like what an angel looks like. What uh, yeah. that experience? Were you odd? Like what does his face? Was it a guy or a girl? Like did they look human? Wings? The whole deal? What 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 was that? I have se- I'll say it this way. I've seen Jesus two times. I've seen an angel two or three times. I've heard an audible voice three or four times. I had a heavenly encounter. Does one Jesus time. look like the paintings or the popular description? Oddly enough, uh, the first time I saw him was in October. I one time in, in a trance encounter in October 1978. So that was 45 years, some almost 45 years ago. He stood in front of me. I was in a dream state, but I'm kneeling and I'm before him and I'm weeping, and the dream state lifts and I'm across the room kneeling before him, just like I was having in that encounter. When he stood before me and he gave me a really powerful uh, personal message to me directly. Was he wearing clothes and, I, and things? Yes. He had a white robe on, b- the black hair. I didn't, I was looking straight in his eyes. I wasn't looking at his hands. Did he have scar? I don't know. Did he have sandals? I don't know. I was looking, kneeling, sta- straight, transfixed at his face. And he did not have blue, uh, Scandinavian <laughs> color, blue eyes. He did not. He had dark eyes. He was not strikingly handsome or not handsome. Like, like Isaiah said. He's neutral. Yeah. And I mean, he was just a guy that I was staring at. And his eyes captivated me. That was in October 1978. And again, that happened in October 1990. So it was 78 and nice. So 12 years apart, both in October, two times. Same thing. I, he stood right in front of me and talked to me directly. And I, I was, uh, uh, 
I could hear the cars driving around. I was in a hotel room. I heard horns honking. I heard people talking. Then it was like five o'clock in the morning. I was in, I was in Cardiff, Wales at a conference with John Wimber, believe it or not. And, and those little hotels in, in Cardiff, Wales. Tiny. Hotel room and the street's like five feet away. You heard everybody else. Yeah. He stood right in front of me and talked to me and told me stuff. And, and, it, and it happened. So those two times and two times an angel. The one time was in 2005. I was wide awake in my bed. And I was just sitting in my bed, wide awake, two o'clock in the afternoon. No, I'm saying it wrong. It was it was about uh, uh, no, forget that. Two o'clock afternoon was another one. Forget it. Anyway, because <laughs> I want to say it right. I yeah, yeah, wrong. yeah. And I was just wide awake, looking there, and an angel stood right in front of me. He had a trumpet. He put it in like this to his mouth. It did not touch his lips. He did. I looked at him. I went, Oh my God, what? I'm looking at an angel. You're more aware that you're looking at an angel more than you're getting a message. You're going, it looks like an angel's here. Did it look you're like sure. a person or like yes. t- yeah. t- how tall was it? Did it have wings? I'd say I'm uh, six foot, six, one, five, they, ten. They're not oh. made in the image of God, right? Angels? Well, not in the sense that humans are. They're, yeah. they're called servants of God. Nothing says they're made in the image of God. So that's kind of an argument by silence that I'm making. Uh, maybe they are, uh, but nowhere does it say Fair they're enough. not. Nowhere does it say they are. I've but got he, a, sorry. he lift up the trumpet three times, put it to his mouth. It never touched his lip, then it disappeared. And I didn't have a message crystal clear. I, I determined a message afterwards, but I didn't have a message. That's all that happened. It took about four minutes. I stared straight at it, at this angel. It was uh, remarkable. Then another time, years ago, I saw an angel at night in my bed. He just stood right in front of me and he shone his light. His light was shining, me and my wife, shining on our bed. And the angel said something. I was looking straight at the angel. So I've seen an angel twice and Jesus twice, heard the elbow voice three times, had a heavenly encounter once. And those are really dramatic. But what I was talking about experiencing, I wasn't even mentioning those. I was talking about the times the Holy Spirit has come upon me and I felt his presence in a way that was so beyond my just my human enjoyment. I could thought, oh, my goodness, this is remarkable. This is I can't make this happen. That's kind of what I meant an hour ago when I said it. But I'll count two, though. Okay, go for it, Kyle. I just I think everyone wants to know this. Is Jesus white? I think Jesus is a Jewish man. Yeah. So off-white? Off-white? Like Middle Eastern? Oh, yeah. I'm 100%. Curly hair? (laughs) I want to tell you a story that you may believe or not believe, but I totally believe the story. It'll only take me two minutes. Okay. About a Jewish guy, a friend of mine, uh, that how he uh, uh, got converted to Christianity. He was 20 years old. It's 1970, about 71, something like that. Him and his friend, he's from New York City. They're in college. They're taking a summer vacation, going across the summer just to see America. They're 20 years old to go have some fun. They're driving down the road. They're total agnostic, not uh, secular Jew. I mean, the secular Jews, not practicing, whatever. And they're driving, and there's this Hispanic-looking kid who ends up as an angel, by the way, and is hitchhiking at the side of the road. And they're on a highway, let's say it's 20, 30 miles. They're thinking... This is 10 miles from the last town and 10 or 20 miles from the next town in Arizona. What is this kid doing here? This kid looks about 20. He's hitchhiking. He's got a white T-shirt on and jeans. He looks Hispanic, looks about 20. 
they they pick him up. They go like, "What are you doing?" He doesn't say a word. He sits in the back of his car, and they drive. He drives five minutes. He goes, uh, "Would you stop here?" And they to my Jewish friend and his friend goes, "Stop here? Are you kidding? Why?" He goes, "The God of Israel." has an appointment with you tonight at 7 o'clock. Would you let me out here? They said, the God of Israel? How do they know we're Jewish? Like, what? Do we look Jewish? The kid gets out of the car. They said, that was the weirdest thing. The, the, the kid said, go down three miles. You'll see a dirt uh, uh, gravel road. Go right. There's Episcopal Church. He will meet you tonight at 7 o'clock. They said, that's the stupidest thing we've ever heard in our life. They let the kid out. They said, we were really worried. It's 100 degrees outside. We look around. It's pure, flat desert for miles. There's no kid. They said, we drove. We go, wait, where did the kid go? They still don't haven't done the math yet. They went only later. He's gone. The kid disappeared. They drove two, five miles down the road. They saw this little gravel road. They went right. They went and they drove up a half mile. There's a little Episcopal church. They said, that's amazing. Just like that kid told us. They go sit in there. There's this 10-foot picture. It's an Episcopal church, 10-foot picture of a Scandinavian-looking Jesus, blondish hair, blue eyes, 10-foot tall, a little sanctuary, seats about 100 people. They said, what are we doing here? This is the stupidest thing we ever seen in our life. And the guy goes, yeah, let's wait till 7. It's only a little few more minutes. What do we got to lose? So they wait till 7. They said they both of them looked. They said, out of the picture, Jesus stepped out of the picture. The man stared at them right in the face. Didn't say one word to them. Did he look like like the picture became alive? The blue-eyed Scandinavian the Jesus? There. No, he stepped out of it. The picture stayed the same. Okay, okay. Stepped out of it, like say five feet out of it. And he said he never said one word to us, but he said the same three things to both of us. He said, I am Jewish. I am alive. And I love you. That's the only three things that came to both of them. They want, and they said, we want, looked at him for five minutes, three minutes, four minutes, something like that. Five minutes. Are they only two people in the church? Yes. No one's in it. The church was unlocked. They couldn't even believe it was unlocked. This Jewish guy, his name's Matt Schwartz. He's, he's with the Lord now. He died a few years ago. He said, we got in our car and we did not say, we drove back to our condo. One word to each other, seven o'clock in the evening. Till eight o'clock the next morning, he goes in for two guys not to say, well, I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. I went home and stayed in my bed, transfixed, just not transfixed, just perplexed. The next morning at eight, I said to the guy, did you see what I saw? He goes, yeah. He goes, what did he say to you? He said, I am Jewish. I'm alive. I love you. He goes, that's exactly what came into my mind. But he never said no words. The guy got radically converted to Christianity, went back and told all of his Jewish friends, his family, his family got super upset, different ones did. And he told me the conflicts, but it's 10 years later now, I'm meeting him, some number like that. And he was a radical believer all of his life until the day he died. He goes, I will never deny that encounter. He goes, I don't care what anyone says. He is Jewish. He is alive and he loves me. Those are the three words I can never go back on. So that... That was such a powerful account. I just thought that'd be fun to tell. So, I got a hundred stories like that, by the way. I, I I am very skeptical of these stories only because I grew up in church. I heard a lot of stories. I always wanted to see something for myself. Never saw anything for myself. 
But that kind of leads us into the final thing I want to ask you about, and it's right in your wheelhouse, is prayer and prophecy, okay? But wait, I'm going to say one thing first. Sure. What you said, I'm skeptical. I saw, that makes sense to me, actually. Yeah. yeah that, like, that, that to me is not like a how dare you. It's like, hey, I, I actually kind of get that. Well, I keep hearing these stories of all these encounters, and I keep asking for hard evidence, and I keep not getting any is my problem with those. and I, But you hear them every week at church because they're great stories and it keeps people coming back to church. Well, especially now, people pull out uh, their phones in a bar fight. You think if Jesus came, you'd be like, I'm going to fucking take a picture of this shit. <laughs> yeah, that was years ago, though, that, that experience. No, not you. Not you, Mike. I just meant yeah. I, Lots of people are having these. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Correct. Well, okay, I'm going to give you one 90-second commercial, then we're going to go segue to your deal. Okay. Uh, but remember, you're 35. You're still a peewee. The story's not over. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Time left. Here's the, here, I have been recommending, I have been reading books for 50 years, Christian books, and I've never hardly recommended a book. There's one book I'm recommending fanatically for the last 12 months. It's called Imagine Heaven. Have you ever heard of that book? No, I haven't. I beg you to get it. It's called okay. Imagine Heaven. It's about a, a, an engineer for 35 years, was an engineer. He heard of a person that had a near-death experience. He said, whatever. Then he read five or ten more and didn't believe it. Then he studied 1,000 near-death encounters where people died, went somewhere, and came back from every religion. Different. He's, he gave up his practice uh, of 35 years of engineer, devoted the rest of his life, the last 20 years, to searching out these near-death encounters of people from different religions, different ages, blind children. That, I mean, from India. Have you ever... Or, it is the most remarkable book because of the evidence that he puts. And he goes, I would not believe this, this, this. And most of them I don't believe, but here's this. It's called Imagine Heaven. You can get For an you? audio book. That's the one I have. And I hear it in my ear when I drive in the car, my pop, ear pop for 20, 30 minutes when I'm alone. It's the stories are some you won't believe, but some will get you. Imagine Heaven. I beg you to put it. I will. Uh, For the all the candy you've given me, I will read that book. I'm almost <laughs> done reading books recommended to me by Christians. Um, but have, just get audio. Don't read it. Just get it when you're dry. Okay. I might read it. I read. I used to read quite a bit. But um, about that, this about that, have you heard of DMT, the drug DMT, dimethyltryptamine? A little bit, but tell me a little bit more. It, I, I don't know that much. It about, actually but... gets released when you die, and it's like and an when you halluc- sleep, and when you sleep a little mm-hmm. bit. But uh, it's I have not done it. I've done a lot of drugs, but I've not done this one. But I've done acid and things. I I attribute pretty much all of those to like I'm a physicalist. I believe that your brain is what there is. It's a physical thing, and if you put chemicals in it, it reacts a certain way. And I do too. those Go chemicals ahead. exist in your brain. So I guess that kind of transitions into like prayer, prophecy, and those types of things. Um, why does God want us to pray? What does God get out of prayer Good besides question. when we <clears throat> obviously there's praise? A lot of it is petitioning, but it's a commandment. I know you have a career. My dad's written books on this. I, I, I always wanted to know I was locked in my room and forced to pray for 15 minutes to an hour every day as a child. <laughs> it was well um, meaning though I'm yeah, sure n- no pray no eat was literally I wasn't fed until I said my prayers um, so yeah what's why does God want us to pray what is the value of prayer how is it different like, I believe in meditation I think there's a lot of good things that come out of meditation like prophecy uh, when somebody like my mom 
is a prophet. She called the Pope and certain things, and she said things. And then I think that people hear the things that she says and resonate with those and work towards them. And then when they do that, the prophecy becomes true. She's been wrong before. They, like a big one's Todd Bentley. She said he was a great dude. Turns out wasn't a great dude. So how is that God? Did Do Todd Bentley refute God's plans? Did is my mom wrong? Was she not hearing a lot the of different God? questions? Well, I, I know I'm piling on here. I got 10 minutes left on the clock. I'm just, do you have any answers? I, I'm curious about the prayer thing since that seems to be the main accomplishment of your church, as far as I understand, is the increase in prayer, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah well, I'm interested in that. What is what do you think is to Caleb's original question? What is the main objective of prayer? What do you and why do you need more of it? You're good, good. God doesn't, in prayer, God's not looking for information. He's looking for conversation. He doesn't pray because he needs us to tell him what he does not know. He wants us to pray because he wants the conversation with us because he's a God of relationship, not a God of just dutiful activity. So he's lonely he's, up there with those. Oh, no, not lonely at all. He knows if we enter a conversation with them, our life will be dynamically different over time. And he knows outside of living conversation with him, we're never, ever going to reach the okay. fullness of conversation. How does, I know you said you've heard the audible voice of God. Most people don't. Most people have kind of a thought or a feeling. How I've heard it three times in 50 years, so it's not like I hear it a lot. Fair enough. But I guess, how does one differentiate between their own thoughts and feelings to God's thoughts and feelings? How do you know God's talking to you and it's not your own brain? Or the devil or something. Yeah. No, I, I think that's good. I think that getting an impression from the Holy Spirit is an imperfect science to me. Because there's, and, sorry to cut you off again, there's lunatics that say God told them to kill their neighbor. You know what I mean? Oh, I really believe they heard a voice. It's a demon really told them that. Yeah. And, and they're really enraged and they hear a true voice like the Charles Manson stuff. I, I don't know about that story that well, but they hear a voice. You must kill, but it's a demon talking to them because demons are. I've seen demons before too with my eyes. Demons are very, very, very extremely real. Trust me. Was it, well, was it terrifying, or were you in command? Yeah. You was no. Uh, I, in theory, I was commanding them, but in reality, I was a little bit scared. <laughs> Did it look like a humanoid or a beast, or uh, they look like creatures? And and I they know have eyes and a mouth. Yes, yes, eyes and a mouth. There, I'm guessing, I'm making this up so this is not authoritative. There might be a thousand different, like, animal-like creatures of demon forms. I don't mean animal-like, but frogs, apes, people. Little, Did God like, create those? That was going to be my All question. Those kinds of, there are so many ranks and files of angels, and when the angels rebelled against God, they became demons, but they retained their rank and files and diversity. Oh, man. Why would the angels who live in God's presence and experience his power daily think that they could rebel against God? That's impossible to answer. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, a, that's called the mystery of iniquity. That's what the Bible calls it. The why in the very presence of beauty would you want to be better than it? Well, that goes. The only answer I can think is God's plan or God made it happen. But then we're removing agency from like the the Doesn't whole. Have to be a why God allows demons at the very well, least. So he right. Well, that points to God being bad or evil or wrong. If he's creating demons to torment people, that's not a good thing. 
I think he created angels, and the scripture, the, uh, the testimony of scriptures, one third of the angels rebelled. And the reason God created hell was not for humans. God created a hell as a punishment for demons. Yeah. And the demons that follow the demons go where the demons are Christ. So he didn't actually, Jesus makes it clear, he didn't create hell for people, he created hell for demons. But the people follow the demons, go where the demons go. <laughs> it's just the big oops. That, that, that's. <laughs> What was that? It's just a big oops. This wasn't for you, but now so, you uh, did, you did get eternal punishment. Mike, it, when you go to heaven and when I go to hell for eternity, how can you enjoy yourself knowing that I'm being tortured for eternity? Uh, that's a horrible thought, but I and, uh, don't get mad at me. I'm convinced we will be together in heaven. Okay. All right. Let's take it. How about, how about me then? We've met. We're friendly. Anyone. Yeah. Getting Let's tortured for Let's talk about Kyle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can you, okay, how can you sleep at night knowing there's other people? Like, I, if I were in heaven and I had a close friend in hell, oh, I would I spend I... eternity petitioning God to let my close friend or family member out of there. No, I no, you're, that's a very real human thought. Yes, I don't have a great. I got some thoughts, but I don't have great answers for that that I think would be helpful to you. Okay, well. Um, I got, I guess one final question. Do you ever have doubts or did you ever have doubts? And if so, how do you reconcile those? You just pray them away. Yeah. I, I had doubts in my first couple of years and I, I don't want to act like some super saint. I promise you, I don't want to present that way. Yeah. Zero doubts well, in the last 45 years, zero, probably the first four. Well, five of course. Years. Yeah. When, when you go doubts. into a room and read the book of Daniel for 30 days straight, how do you know that? My dad told me that. And I was like, Mike's like, that is like next level, like Buddhist monk stuff. No, I'm serious. Like that's an, a, a, a mental exercise that not a lot of people can do in that time. Like God speaks to you in that time. I'm, I'm feeling like I did a lot of drugs cause I wanted to feel, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I wanted to see, I wanted to see things that weren't real. I wanted to know what it felt like. Right. So, I think that you can make yourself crazy by locking yourself in a room and not eating. How do you know you're not crazy? Uh, I was going to make a joke and say something. Extremely inspiring, actually. My heart was so tenderized. I, I was, it was wonderful. I don't want to do it again, but it was wonderful, actually. I, I'm, you had like a I good time not eating 30 days, Book of Daniel. Well, the result. It was well. The result is I gained tons of understanding in the Book of Daniel, and my heart was really tenderized. I felt so much of the love of God. I felt so much peace in me. I thought, I wish I could live like this, but I can't sustain this kind of well. I guess way. But it was a wonderful little reprieve. Six hours in, you're excited. You're reading your Bible. Three yeah. days in, you're kind of like, what was the like evolution of those thirty days like? I I loved it. At, at day thirty, I wanted to eat. But I didn't want the 30 days in the room to be over because it was so serene. It was beautiful, but it had to be over because there's human processes, there's human responsibilities. Your body can't take it. Yeah. But attentiveness, I felt, because I was there, I think, from 6 in the morning to 10 at night, if I remember right. It was like 22 years ago I did this. I but I always come in at six in the morning. Always, maybe I went home at eight at night. And I can't remember, but I did it all day long. Just I was there because I was in a. There's a room, a room where I sit in, where I got a, a one-way mirror. I can see the prayer room, and I hear the music because the live worship 
there's like 10 people on the stage most of the time and anywhere between one to 300 people in the room. So there was live worship going on the whole time, but I'm on the side of the stage and I call it my first station up there and my own little private way where I could see them. They can't see me. So I was in the presence of this very sweet music and I could, go to the room over to where I didn't hear it so loud if I wanted to, which I'd go and take a nap because I got a prayer station. Then one step over is my office. I had a couch. So I'd take a nap once or twice a day, then come back to my prayer station. And I loved it. It was, sur- I don't know why I'm telling you all this. And That is why- wild, bro. Because uh, I asked. Oh, I forgot why I'm telling you. I go, why am I telling you <laughs> this st- stupid story? It's not stupid to me, though. Well, Mike, that brings us to the uh, end of the interview. I mean, thank you. I've got you one so- final question. Go ahead, Kyle. To end it all up. Have you ever been sued by the International House of Pancakes? <laughs> we, they made us an offer that we couldn't refuse that said, you better you better call yourself IHOP KC and not IHOP. Because gotcha. we were IHOP and now we're IHOP KC. So, hey, they won. <laughs> That's That's no, awesome. I loved IHOP.com. Yeah. I mean, .org. They were IHOP.com. But they made us add KC, which is a hassle. But I would say, well, thank you, Caleb. You're brilliant. Your questions. I love your question. Thank you. No, I mean it. You're on a trajectory that, again, it's me telling you yeah. this. Your questions are honest. Your questions aren't mean. Your questions aren't, how dare you? Your questions are, would somebody please make sense of this? Yes. <laughs> Thank that you. My heart gets answered. And I love the trajectory you're on because. Like, like your mom said, you know, it could be strange. I go, I don't care. Good. But this has been wonderful to me. Well, Very, I was expecting it to be a little bit more testy, which I would not have minded because I don't mind that at all. But I, I think your, your heart and your mind, I'm impressed with you. Well, maybe we could talk again sometime. Um, I'm going to try to come to Kansas City next time my parents go, just and we can just hang out. We don't have to yeah, be with the well. That's right. Hey, but no wrestling. 2-0. Oh. <laughs> <I, I>, <laughs> I'm undefeated. Um, Hey, remember the how you too, honestly, imagine heaven by John Burke, because he has all the statements you make about the brain being, he knows all of that. He addresses all that. Okay. And he, he believes it. Okay. I'll have to get the audio book. I'm a little illiterate. And if any of my, you can drive in your car and hear it. And I'm a reader too. I read everything. Never audio book. Yeah. But one exception. Okay. And if you were listening to this, you're interested in Mike or what he's doing, where can people like go to find your stuff or your tapes, you books or whatever? IHOPKC.org. That's International House of Prayer, Kansas City. We're .org because .com is the, is the pancake or MikeBickle.org. <laughs> right on, Mike. Well, thanks for talking to us. I had a great thanks, time. Thanks, Mike. Me too. I love it. These guys are cool, man. I like you guys. All right. Till next time. Bye. Let's. I gotta. I want to keep talking. Oh yeah, let's just keep us talking. for a little bit. So, I guess we'll uh, just have your name up here. Sure. I'll end the call. Holy. End meeting for all. I feel like a palpable sense of relief. That went. We just have it was a little rambly, <laughs> a little non-answery for me. I mean, I expected that a hundred percent. Here's a question I didn't get to because I knew he wouldn't answer it. Yeah. So I, I wanted to get to maybe some questions he might answer. We had we were very time constrained, and he talks. He's like 90, 90 seconds, five minutes later. But he also, it's a distraction tactic from the original question. Yeah, make yourself charming. He's a very charming guy, and I like him. And this is not negative yeah, to him. Yeah. But uh, if you if you take a long have a long winded conversation that you think proves your point, a story, 
the colloquialism, if you will, that proves your point, that has no proof whatsoever beyond your, angel, beyond your own experience. We know he was an angel. And then you answer there. the question in 10 seconds you th- with that other context. It does validate it to someone who's not actively thinking because mm-hmm. you think they've actually given evidence when your own experience isn't evidence. But the question I had... Which I never got to because I didn't want to. At the I didn't want to do it at the beginning when there was no rapport. Yeah. And at the end, it didn't seem necessary. Yeah. But I wanted to ask him. He seems like a great guy, to be honest. Yeah. Don't know him at all, though. Yeah. Lots he, of people seem great that aren't. I'm not saying he is either way. Yeah. But I like him. That's all I'm saying. But I was I was gonna ask him. I think you're you seem like a moral person. I'm sure he would agree. Yeah. Morally, you have your morals are based on your own experiences and the Bible. Yeah. You would say probably yes. Yeah. And then I want to ask him, if knowing the only way for you to achieve love in your life was to have 10 times as many people suffer, knowing for a fact, would you, would you, would you click that button and give yourself love at the expense of 10 times as much suffering minimum? Yeah. And that's the question I wanted to ask at the beginning, but I I think I didn't know. I'm how glad you didn't because it, it would have t- put us on a different trajectory. That's why I didn't. We might get to talk to him again. It sounds like he. But that is. To us. That is we, literally what he said. Yeah, I know it's crazy that God did. But as a moral person, I don't think anyone would do that. Well, you, I you see, I saw when I asked him those types of questions. We didn't ask him that question specifically, yeah. but we asked. That was him, fun. Like, why is got a more tent? Why is got like a tent? Like God got to torture people and more people are in heaven. You could see him wince and pull back and go like, look, I don't know. I don't know got all the answers. I just know I'm going to heaven. Look, you can't argue with what did he say? Ex- argument always loses to experience. And that's exactly right. Exactly yes. right. Because mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I experience what I perceive that I experienced, I wanted to get way more into. Like, well, you can't. You can't. I tried to at one point. I believe like I also have experiences, yeah. but you are saying yours are yours. Yeah. Take. Uh, yeah. Take you're at the forefront and I'm at the back. Yeah. Like why doesn't God show himself to everybody? I don't know. And why, why does your experience yeah. invalidate mine? Yeah. Why doesn't mine invalidate yours? Because it mine clearly doesn't invalidate yours. Because you still believe in God, but yours invalidates mine somehow. Mah- we never got Muhammad saw an angel. That was his experience, mm-hmm. and he said Jesus wasn't the God. So did Joseph Smith. Yeah, I know. It's fucking I I kind of expected better answers. Me too. But I also expected exactly that as well. As as I was ans- asking him, and he kind of just was like, "Whoa!" And I was like, "Okay, so, so you don't know? No one knows. No one knows these fucking." Well, that things. is the essentially the. I thought we had a grasp on the Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing, and then, and we, then we completely lost it. And then we went back to the. So he is human. Yeah. And, sometimes and God sometimes, but only when it's convenient for your story. That's modalism. Yeah. That's what it is. Because yeah. I thought we got to the point where he was like, "My thing is." The thing I think, I think my thing wraps it up very well, and I think you can convince a lot of non-believers or win a lot of debates with my argument because it's a practical thing that everyone can relate to, that everyone understands that they have two hemispheres of the brain, yeah. everyone understands that they do different things, and everyone understands there's a direct cord attaching them that they talk to each other without your knowledge. That's a very right? modern concept, by the way. And when all these yeah. theological debates were happening, they didn't know anything about the brain. So any that's the best analogy I've honestly ever heard. And I that, think it's good. It is good. I'd like to hope people use it. No, people people use water. <laughs> and it would be funny. That God is like water. He can yeah. be ice, steam, and mm-hmm. liquid. And you're like, not at the same time. Steam can't be ice. Uh, super solutions. It can't be. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Don't fuck with me, Kyle. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a superfluid, Caleb? You know what I think would be funny, though? Because I think that argument is good. I don't know the other ones, but it'd be funny to me if that's somehow gotten a seed in his brain. I didn't. And he somehow, this is my this is my idea behind it. Yeah. And it's somehow gotten a seed in his brain. He's very influential. Yeah. Right? And then he starts using it as an example, because I think it's a good example. <laughs> you want to No, take- no, no. This is why, though. And then, if it becomes a common you argument. have the No, counter. not me. We go back and be like, it came from a heretical podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the origin. Right? Well, God uses heretics. That's fine. They, it would just be very funny it to It would me. be hilarious to people from that don't believe it, but everyone yeah. on the inside has the caveat. There's so many fucking outs. And I'm okay with that. No, like, some of those I'm arguments, okay I am okay with, with it. With it. I'm not Why okay. couldn't... Good information. God could oh, be yeah. speaking through heretics. That's not... Heretics. But, yeah, of course... I guess the point is, everything is God. That's what pisses me off. Oh, bad's well, God, good's God. Well, of course it would be. Yeah, I know. It's really if annoying. If God existed, it's it would be It's fucking annoying. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that was it. That was a good time. I enjoyed that. Quite I a bet bit. you he'll talk to us again. I wanted to read. I didn't. I was just looking at the clock as he was telling me I angel tell. stories, yeah. and I I wanted to read him about Jephthah's daughter. I wanted. I asked him about David's son. He sidestepped that one too. Like God, he didn't really say. He went with my mom. They all deserved it. You know. Yeah, he did. And he didn't hammer him on it. Make him shut down her laptop like <sighs> you did your mom. He was expecting you to scream at it. <sighs> I I don't yeah I don't know what he thought I was never gonna scream at old Mike yeah but he's heard you screaming on the other episodes his assistant clearly was like they might <laughs> they like to yell yeah okay so before on the I way think to- I think our listeners are gonna think you softballed them by the way really that's what I think yeah on the on the way here I was I talked to the assistant <laughs> and I'd never met him before but I never know who I've met or not so I asked have we met before he's like no I'm Mike's guy I was like cool. And I was like, did you get a chance? Did Mike listen to our podcast? He's like, he had me listen to a few. <laughs> Go easy on him. That's what he said. I like that. That's funny. And I, that just kind of, I don't know. I was honestly, I was I too soft on him? I asked him hard questions, I felt like. We didn't hammer down the answers. We didn't make him answer, which is, the, which is an issue I had. I, the whole answer of, I can't know. But then you didn't, there was no, not you, sorry, yeah. me included. Yeah. We didn't follow up with, then how do you believe it if you don't know the answer to that reason, question? Besides the fact that you've had There's no besides. Experience. There's no besides. It's all the experience. It's all the experience. That's the entire. Then how do you expect other people to? That, and that, how, unfortunately, why, and that, if other people aren't having those experiences, yeah. would you not conclude that God doesn't care about them as much as they do you? Yeah. I mean, that would have been a great question. I would have liked to ask that. I felt like we were getting the same answer. I wanted, I wanted to ask him why he's special and why we're not. <laughs> yeah. But I never got to it either. He because would, clearly he is. When I tried he, to ask it at the beginning, he smiled. He, and I and that was a smile. Now, I, I'm inferring he, a lot from that. But he was like, oh, I'm not. He, keeps, he always says I'm not special. You can say whatever you want. But you are. How in, many people have seen fact, Jesus and angels? How many people who claim to speak to God have seen God? Yeah. Most people know. so And that gives you, like in the, the case of him and my mom. Gives you ultimate authority. Exactly. But you understand that that is not proof to me. Yeah. And he would say, I don't need proof from you and all that stuff. Uh, I hate the... Which f- if I saw God, I would believe, I'd believe the same I thing. I hate so. the free will thing. If I sit down with Mike, I'm going to go down through all the voice. And I'm surprised. I'm not, maybe I'm not surprised, but I thought it was cool that he... Whenever I gave an example, he had like eight more. 
like when I was like regret, he's like, yeah, that's one of the big six. And he like, he knew he had, he had very good uh, responses to some questions in the sense of uh, the, how the Bible would justify it, yeah. which I did enjoy. Cause I've always asked you how the Bible would justify it. Now I had questions I didn't get asked because we were in limited time, but I did get to ask quite a bit. Yeah. And I was satisfied with the answers. I liked how, um, one particularly, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I was like, that is an interesting, that's an interesting justification and it, it makes sense. Now it doesn't answer any big questions, but it makes sense how you could justify it if you took a couple leaps around the text itself. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. All right. Shall we uh, have a chess game or should we hang out another time? We could, I mean, have a chess game. Yeah. Right Go now. to Patreon. Uh, we could keep the mics going and just talk during the chess game. No, nope. I have nothing more to We're, say. That's it. All right. Uh, thanks, dipshits. Uh, see you next week. Yeah, yeah.